And Nathan gave me the list of topics. I saw training one another in obedience and being a teacher, I felt like training and obedience are the two circuits of life that I'd be the most familiar with. Uh, classroom management and training are two cruxes of my job that if I do them poorly, I'm going to come home really frustrated, really angry, and we all know Kaylee doesn't want that. Um, it's funny that last week Nathan focused so heavily on CrossFit as being the central focus of what we talked about. He didn't know this, but I had already written most of the message for today, and it was exclusively on working out. So common theme for uh, what we're talking about. So when I think of the word train, I don't necessarily think about teaching at all. When I think of the word train, I think of going to soccer practice, or more likely I think of going to the gym, which is why I've titled today's sermon, Planet Fitness. That's the logo from Toy Story from Pizza Planet, so yeah. Uh, so given that I am your instructor for this training exercise, I have in fact prepared myself uh, to do some of that training, so um, just so that we can get ready for our training session. I brought this from home. Is this a workout thing, Kaylee? I don't know what this is. It's a leg thing? Do something like this? I don't know. Doesn't matter. So um, each of you should get a questionnaire at some point. Nathan printed those off for me. So what I did is I took a fitness consultation from some gym in the States. I don't know which one it was. Um, one of the gyms, it's very similar to one you'd receive if you went to the gym and said, I would like to lose some weight or I'd like to become Arnold Schwarzenegger or something to that effect. So this is sort of like a fitness consultation. I changed the questions up a little bit. Uh, so some knowledge for you. This is some teaching background. Um, there is a lot of research to suggest that a sermon or like a lecture is the absolute worst way to learn anything. Um, me standing up at the front and talking is a really bad way of learning stuff. So where the learning actually happens, according to the research, is when the peers or the learners apply themselves in some way or another. So this is my way of saying, hey, I'm a teacher. Here is your way of applying yourself. Here's a fitness questionnaire that you can kind of use um, as I'm speaking today. So if you get bored or if you're not sure what to do or you're someone like Kaylee that likes drawing pictures during the message, uh, here's something that you can fidget with. So the first point of today's message is that trainers themselves, if you go into a gym, trainers themselves are often fit, but more importantly, they don't necessarily have to be fit. More importantly, what they're doing is at least people that are practicing and training. There are some trainers that when you walk into a gym, they're a little bit bigger, a little bit huskier, but they're at least practicing and have some background knowledge of what or how to train. Um, so some questions for you would be like, how would you feel if you came into the gym and an extraordinarily obese trainer tried to train you? It'd be a little bit weird. You'd think this is maybe a little hypocritical. Or in the same way, how would you feel if your history teacher came in and tried to teach you chemistry? They probably don't know enough to do that. Or an environmentalist driving a pickup truck tries to tell you about climate change and your carbon footprint. All of these things feel like there's something a little bit off, something that's not just right about the person that's instructing me. Um, if someone's actions don't align with their behavior or work, or the thing that they're trying to convince you of, if their actions don't line up with that, how likely are you to believe or follow them? This is very likely the reason that Jesus didn't just have his 12 apostles, but he had hundreds of other people that followed him regularly. Um, his behavior and what he was instructing were directly aligned with one another. Um, I'll go back to those obese trainer, the climate change truck driver. How would you feel if somebody with no observable faith or acts of obedience tried to teach you how to live about 
God or how to live according to the will of God. Something would feel off there. Something would feel like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would I listen to you? Here's an example where this becomes relevant. So this year, I don't have a contract as a teacher. I'm a sub. And that has allowed me to see how much of my high school content I actually remember. Um, I'm trained in biochemistry. There are very few chemistry lessons that I walk into and go, oh man, I don't know how I'm going to teach this. Um, I don't know everything about chemistry, but I know enough that I'm confident walking in there. Um, what I have done this year is, my mom's an English teacher, so I've subbed for he her a few times and a few other English teachers. And let me tell you, I taught what a definition poem was this year. And even though I taught it for about 30 minutes, I could not tell you what a definition poem is. I have no idea. Um, basically, I was left with no instruction, and so I made it up as we went. I read through the poem and said, this is probably what it is. And the kids went with it. So my point behind this analogy is that the core of training one another is becoming knowledgeable and active in the art of obedience. There are two steps that you need to take. You need to know how to be obedient and what obedience should look like. And two, you have to do it yourself. So in terms of what the knowledge of obedience looks like, um, we have some core examples from the Bible. This is the most important thing I'll say, this next sentence, this next verse. I could say this, and if you take nothing else from this message, perfect. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, we're done. That's it. We can leave. Congratulations, you've been trained. Um, other more uh, applicable examples or more active examples would be when Saul converted to Paul in Acts 9. So Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. But suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you, whom you are persecuting. And after three days, immediately he, Saul, proclaimed that Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. Um, Saul knew that he was to suffer very much for Christ, and yet he joyfully took up his commission to the Gentiles. Another example that we can say um, is an example of obedience in the Bible. Abraham in Genesis 12. Um, when God called Abraham in Genesis 12, we see absolutely no hesitation from Abraham to obey God. It says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So imagine this. Abram, later, later called Abraham, was to leave his family, friends, occupation, and home and his worshiping of false gods as well, which he believed was true, to go to a place he had never seen before and called by God who he had never known about before, but yet with no hesitation he went. Those are huge asks. Give up absolutely everything you know, trust, have invested in, believe in, and go do this thing. This is a complete stranger saying this to you. Um, the other and last kind of example is everybody's favorite Sunday school answer, which is Jesus. His greatest act of obedience was he laid down his life for us. Um, the key that I draw from these stories is that obedience is a mental acknowledgement or a spiritual acknowledgement that we need to make. And then what it should do is transform our actions to align with whatever God's plan is. So Northsight adds to this point in the following ways. We want to respect what God is doing in people's lives. We need to listen to see what that is and resist the temptation to decide 
which things need work first. We might see problems in somebody else's life, but it is not our job to decide this is what needs to be fixed right now. That is the Holy Spirit's guidance. We affirm God's work and invite each other to be accountable to God and to community, and this is also a lifelong process, right? Going to the gym, losing weight doesn't happen over one or two sessions. It takes a long time to get yourself fit to the point where you are capable of doing amazing things. So, core of training is, uh, training one another is becoming knowledgeable and active in the art of obedience. The second question, and as we get through the workout, eventually we need to ask ourselves, why do we want to do this? What is our goal? Um, in my first year psychology class, they had this thing set up where if you volunteered yourself for a couple of experiments, you could get an extra 3% in the class. 3% seems pretty pathetic and pretty measly, but to me, I was like, if that's the difference between me getting a 70-something and an 80-something, I'm gonna do it. So one of the uh, experiments that they had me take part in was a goal-setting experiment. And in this experiment, they very simply just asked me, what is the goal you would like to achieve? And I said, I was, if you go on my Facebook, you can find these pictures. I was a very skinny, young 20-year-old. Puberty did not do a lot for me. Um, it took a little while. It took me like four or five years of university to actually gain any amount of weight. Um, and COVID helped too. But uh, you can find this picture on Facebook. It's terrible. Kaylee and I were joking about it the other day. My arms are tiny. So I said, I want to do push-ups. I want to do 50 push-ups every single morning. And the thing that they told me about the goal was I needed to have a number attached to it and I needed to have something that was obviously achievable. So having some sort of uh, flippant goal that's like, I'd like to be a better person. There's no way of really determining I have become a better person. When you set a goal, the idea is you need to see a number or some sort of checkbox accomplished. That's how you know when your goal, that's a good goal. So for example, it might be, I would like to lose five pounds. Well, that's a pretty obvious, has the scale gone down five pounds? Yes, I have achieved my goal. Um, I'd like to lie less. Well, how are we going to actually set a goal that's achievable and attainable? Um, so <laughs> to those that have children, which is most of you, um, have you ever told your child to do something and they say, why? Probably. I did it a lot. Kaylee does it to me all the time. Um, the temptation is to get very frustrated with that response. Go clean your room. Why? But I think that question is actually really valuable we should ask God this question as well. I command you to obey. Why? So some of the reasons that we have for obedience. The first is that Jesus calls us to obey. This John 14, 15, this is the most important verse of the whole message here. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There's reason number one. Reason number two, obedience is an act of worship. Uh, Romans 12 verse 1 says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Reason number three, God rewards obedience. This is not a prosperity gospel message saying that if you obey, you will be given great riches and great wealth. But this is what the New Testament in Luke tells us. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Reason number four, obedience to God reveals our love. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. This is 1 John. Reason number six, obedience to God demonstrates our faith. 
And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar. It is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Uh, I think we're on reason number seven. Obedience is better than sacrifice. If you like Christian community comedians, Christian comedians, that's the word I went, um, Michael Jr. has a really good uh, thing that he goes through. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Uh, he tells this story about Starbucks. It's hilarious. Um, definitely worth looking up and watching on YouTube. Um, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he rejected you as king. The last point here, the eighth, is that disobedience leads to sin and death. For as by the one man's, Adam's, disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's, Christ's, obedience, the many will be made righteous. So the steps so far of training that we've talked about have been going to the gym. Uh, the first is that you need to become knowledgeable and active in the art of obedience. Uh, the second was that you need to establish what is your goal and why do you want to do this. The last one, and this is probably the hardest, is that pains get gains. If you go to the gym and you are curling little two-pound pink dumbbells, you're probably not going to gain a lot of muscle tone. You need to lift weights that are uncomfortable and hard and difficult to lift. Pains get gains. So my thoughts behind this, I had a whole bunch of different ways that I wanted to go with this, but here are my thoughts. You need to be challenged to grow. You need to be challenged to grow. The absence of challenge means that you will be stagnant in your gains or gains will not happen. Um, I've heard it said many times in the church that if you are not progressing in your faith, you are regressing. There is no way that you can stay in the same spot of your faith. It's progression or regression. Uh, the absence of pain means you'll stay exactly where you are um, and exactly where you were. You need to surround yourself with like-minded people or as Hebrews 12 says, a great cloud of witnesses. Others at the gym or others in the church can be a huge motivating force. You also need to surround your people with um, with people that are also in need of training. So my question for you is this, and you can maybe identify this on the questionnaire that you have in front of you, which is what is holding your training back? Or what is preventing you from getting gains? Does your use of language or questionable words show your attitude towards your faith? Do your habits with consuming alcohol too much reveal a negligence or omission of an important aspect of your faith? Does laziness prevent you from diving into your Bible more often? Are you too concerned or too scared with finding the right way to talk to others about Jesus? And I want to direct you back to this whole John 14, 15 verse, which says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our obedience is an example of our love for Jesus. And that enough, often is enough for people to recognize you are different and why are you different? Um, there is no commandment that says, thou shalt not drink two pilsners on a Saturday to celebrate a Rough Riders win. Okay, there's no commandment in the Bible that says that. But we can sort of infer what the Bible's trying to get at us based on the other commandments that are given and just how Jesus lived. 
So here's what I've found in my own personal walk. This is my favorite story to tell students and my favorite story to tell my friends. Um, the best way to show others and tell others that you believe in God or believe in Jesus is to act differently. Um, I am very weird, I'm very nerdy, and I'm very different. So I myself, I don't swear. I also think it's very important, and I encourage my other Christian friends to not swear and to not push the line of what swearing is. Um, it's, some, it's a choice I've made. It's something I'm very, very passionate about. Um, there is some like, questionable theology on whether Paul swore. Um, if you read some of Paul's messages, he calls people dung and he calls people poopy and crappy and stuff like that. It's questionable whether he's using a swear word in those cases based on the translation. So you could say, well, biblically, the Bible says swearing's fine. Here's what I've seen from my life, though. What I've seen in my life is a consistent surprise and questioning when I tell people I don't swear. Or when I use phrases that my grandpa used to use, like hokey lick, dear goodness, or sheesh louish. Uh, too often in my life, people ask me why I'm saying that and why I do not swear. And for me, it's been the best opportunity to tell my friends about Jesus. I get to tell them why I don't swear and why I differentiate myself. Um, the best part is that a lot of my friends who are not Christians and have no morality whatsoever will start to copy those phrases. I have non-Christian friends who are now saying hokey lick regularly instead of holy crap or something to that effect. Um, that to me is passive training. The other wonderful thing about it, Kaylee and I were at an engagement party on Wednesday this week for one of my biochem friends very, very far removed from the church. Her dad's a pastor. She has no desire to do anything with Jesus. But for them, when they're around Kaylee and I, what they do is they watch their language very carefully, and they'll apologize if they swear. I always tell my friends, you don't have that same moral compass. You can swear. It doesn't matter, because you don't have that same belief in Jesus in the background. Our obedience can be an opportunity to testify about Jesus and also inspire other Christians as well. Um, Here's the hard part of this entire message. It's tough and it takes practice. What you might have noticed is that I have a particular flair for the dramatic. Um, that comes from my mom's gene pool. Shouts out to my mom. Um, and what that means is often to inflate or spark a story, I will exaggerate the details of that story. And what I ran into in my life is the problem of not knowing where the absolute truth of stories were and where I had exaggerated facts. In other words, I was basically lying in some of the stories that I was telling, and because I had done it and practiced that so long, I couldn't tell you the difference between what was the truth and what wasn't. Um, Kaylee's really great at this. She often asks me, did that really happen, Jaden? And uh, that's a good way of keeping me honest. The, the thing I want to hit on is that I've been practicing that for a long time. I'm still terrible at it. I still exaggerate a lot. I still am obviously a very dramatic person. But it's hard, and it takes practice, and it's something I'd like to get better at. So what we as a church need to do is welcome training. And that's difficult. We also, as people, need to be coachable people. We need to show that we're willing to put in the work ethic to get better. Um, sometimes we as Christians get too locked into our beliefs or habits, and uh, a lot of times those beliefs are the ones that really don't matter. There was a big schmuck in the church uh, a couple of years ago at a different church that was really concerned about moving the piano from the right side of the stage to the left. That was a huge deal. Um, Jesus might hate us if we move the piano. It's things like that that prevent us from being trained and prevent us from training. Um, we need to welcome the opportunity and challenge for others to challenge us and push us. 
Part of what that means, though, is you have to be willing to share with people what you're struggling with. And that's hard, too. That's really, really hard. Um, to say, I'm a liar, that is a difficult thing to do. Um, part of fitness is being flexible and training your body to adapt to tremendous stress, pressure, and the weight that we expect it to carry. And as much as you f- might feel otherwise, growing your faith and becoming obedient is a team sport. There is no I in team. There's no I in church. The church is a we community. So the beauty is you have teammates here to rely on, trust, support you, give opportunities, and also potentially hold you back. You do need to be careful of that too. Um, The last point here is our obedience is a beautiful expression of our love for Jesus Christ. And I'd imagine that Jesus would want us to encourage and welcome and applaud examples of obedience. So what we can look for this week or what you can uh, analyze yourself on is these fitness assessments, but also where can you applaud great acts of obedience or great acts of love for Jesus? That's John's week.